This episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to season two, episode one of Draft Class, your home for all talk related to the NBA draft right here on Knicks Film School. I'm your host, Chris Percyinen, more excited than ever to bring in this new season of Draft Class, because let me tell you, folks, KFS is a community of Knicks fans. One that I am very, very proud to consider myself a part of. And KFS is a community of Knicks fans that want to be educated, you guessed it, about the Knicks, but also the NBA as a whole. Now, not just if you're a dynasty fantasy basketball player and you've got a rookie draft coming up, but just as a an aficionado of the league, I feel like you guys still want to know about the 2023 NBA draft, even though as of today, the Knicks don't have a pick in that draft. I I really do think with how many picks they have in next year's draft, at the very least, it would be interesting to learn about who these prospects are, if they were to acquire any of them in the future, but also just in case they do trade in to this year's draft, you never know what can happen. And that's why we're here on draft class to break it down. So without further ado, let's introduce my concept for this introductory episode of draft class for season two. Now, my wonderful, beautiful, fantastic listeners, you guys know if you were here last season on season one of draft class here on KFS, we really, really focus on the draft me and a guest. And we talk about, uh, players from that draft that the Knicks should go after, players from that draft in general, philosophically what the Knicks should do, philosophically how certain guys represent the difference in, in modern versus old philosophy and whatever it is. Um, we talk all things draft. Well, today I want to talk all things draft, but not the 2023 draft class just yet. In fact, I want to revisit several draft classes from the past. And the reason is because everyone that we're going to talk about is today a New York Knicks. So here's what we're going to do. A little bit of draft class retro edition. Um, We're going to go back. We're going to talk about RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, Deuce McBride, and Quentin Grimes. And we're going to talk about them as prospects. We're going to talk about them now. We're going to talk about where I would take them in the draft. Now, where I would have taken them uh, if they were in this draft, but it was the prospect version. We're going to cover it all. And, and I am excited to have you guys along with me for the journey. So let's get started with RJ Barrett. 
consensus top five pick in his draft and someone who the majority of national and local analysts had going in the top three after Williamson and Morant. By the time that cycle really came around, he started the season as the number one prospect on a lot of boards, but Zion's emergence at Duke quickly overshadowed that and John Morant and the athletic and skill showcase that he put on at Murray state uh, catapulted him into position to be the number two pick. So RJ Barrett goes number three overall. I want to talk about a couple of the notes I had on him from when I scouted him in 2019. So I understand I personally was just 17 years old at the time and Barrett was like 18, 19, Uh, but let's go back and look at what I wrote about him. And I, I was nowhere near as detailed as I am now, but here's what I had on RJ Barrett from his college experience looks the part bad percentages all over fair i mean he looked like a guy who should have the ball in his hands except at the end of plays when the shots wouldn't go in he shot a low percentage in a lot of games Um, i saw a game personally between duke and texas tech at madison square garden williamson barrett reddish versus culver and williamson fouled out early on in the second half. So Barrett had to lead the show and Duke had a very big lead and it dissipated. Oh, so quickly Uh, Barrett inefficient turnover prone um, and really just showed a lot of the concerns uh, of if he's out there without another offensive creator, obviously not slotted to be a primary creator in the NBA and, and the Knicks have never had that expectation of him based on how they've deployed him on the court. But that's something of note, you know, if you're going to use a top pick on a guy and he doesn't have primary potential, He has to be a very high amount of good in other areas. And that, you know, has debatably come true for Barrett. My next note was he's a plus rebounder and a strong ass kid. Um, (laughs) Again, uh, I I like that note of mine. Now I will say today in the NBA, I'm not sure I would describe him as a plus rebounder. I think given his size and his strength, he's a fine rebounder. Uh, But I guess in college, I really liked the effort he put towards that. And I remember liking the effort he put towards that, especially I saw him when he was in high school in Montvert Barrett. And I remember loving his athleticism that, that he displayed just functionally not wiggle, not anything like that, but just functional athleticism within the game, functional strength in regards to using it as a method of, of advantage creation. Um, and I was really impressed. So yeah, I, I liked that from RJ next note. Speaking of no wiggle. Now this was not a big knock from me, just more a sign that he would be more of a project player. I never saw RJ Barrett having all-star level impact before his fifth year in the league. And the reason for that was because of the time it would take to develop his handle, his reads in playmaking, his jump shot. Right. So all those things had to come along as we've been noting. Um, And I've got to say that, man, he has not improved to a star level yet, but we're also, just four years in. So, you know, he's still a young player. He's just 22 years old. Um, and I believe that, you know, he, he is worth betting on going forward because of the final note that I have on him, which was ultra competitive. Now, Barrett has shown tenacity in the NBA. This regular season really put that to the test in regards to fans faith in him, but in the playoffs bounced back and showed everyone he was indeed the guy that they were hoping to get that postseason um, Barrett was spectacular in the playoffs several games over. And I, and I think that although he showed some struggles again, just a 22 year old player tasked with being the third option on his team, a serious playoff team um, with what you got from Barrett in the playoffs 
can even make Jonathan Macri believe. So let me tell you, folks, that is an impressive showcasing from a young player, no matter what. Um, I'm just 21. I promise when I'm 22, I will not be doing anything nearly as impressive as that. So uh, I like to keep stuff like that in mind. Also, I'll never be a pro player, but that's so besides the point. Uh, but we could sneak in a little self-deprecation too. I just, I never had the makings of a varsity athlete. I never did. Never did. All right. Let's talk business. RJ Barrett in the 2023 NBA draft as a prospect, where would I have selected him? I got to be honest. I absolutely would have selected him in the top five of this 2023 NBA draft. Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson. I would have considered better bets the same way that at the time I considered Williamson and Morant better bets than Barrett. Cam Whitmore, his athleticism is off the charts. 99th percentile in, in lateral and vertical movement. I just, he is special and I'm really high on Cam Whitmore. If you guys haven't heard the, my initial spiels on him, you can go back and listen to dream draft rules, everything around me. I did several episodes of dream uh, just this spring um, and you can go and enjoy those still. I think they still apply. Did them during March madness, did one after the draft lottery, just a chance for people to really get to talk some draft with, with each other and, and with me and have their questions answered. But yeah, I would say, Amen Thompson, my number four overall player on my big board is where I would start to feel some pause in regards to Barrett. And, and I want to say um, just with Thompson's potential to be a primary creator that I would, knowing my draft biases today, draft Thompson over Barrett nowadays. And I would probably take Barrett at number five in that draft if he were a prospect. Uh, I did have some concerns about Barrett's mobility, uh, that lack of wiggle I noted, but for me personally, it still did not feel like enough to have him under guys like Jarrett Culver. I still liked RJ Barrett as a prospect. I just really had him as a third guy, and I didn't think he was a super close third guy. I thought there was a step after Moran, and I think that that's shown in the league so far, which is a fair assessment. So I would say when Benyama, Henderson, Whitmore, Amen Thompson, after that, RJ Barrett at number five, great pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Now, if RJ Barrett were a 22-year-old prospect with the improvements that he's made to his game so far, I could either have a pick in this draft or take RJ Barrett. Um, if RJ were still on a rookie scale deal, I would still, I would take him probably number eight, number eight or nine, just knowing how good he is in the playoffs, what we've seen from him, but with the contract that he's attached to the advantage of having a, a fresh rookie scale deal is really high. And I would probably then bet on guys like a case and Wallace and also Thompson, a Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, Anthony black would be where I see some pause. So maybe the 10, 11, 12 range for Barrett, uh, given his contract, but you always want to acquire good young talent when you can. And with this CBA, this new CBA and the new cap, the new salary cap that'll be coming in. I don't think Barrett's new contract is, is any sort of issue at all. So yeah, I think Barrett is worth maybe like the 10th pick in this draft. In my eyes, I know if a team had the 10th pick and was rebuilding, they would not give it up for RJ Barrett. It wouldn't make sense to because their timeline is more oriented towards youth, but a team like Dallas, 
the 10th overall pick. Oh, I'd trade that if I were them for RJ Barrett in a heartbeat to have another creator off of Luka Doncic. I think that would be a great move for them. I don't think that will happen in real life at all. Definitely not. But then what's draft class? Well, come on. I'm the teacher, right? I'm allowed to be a little crazy. I'm allowed to get a little off the rails as long as we uh, find our way back. So that is it for me on RJ Barrett and, and where personally um, I would have him. I did have him. I had him number three at the time. I'd have him number five now in the 2023 draft. I think that's how strong this draft is. Um, so many guys that are worth top five picks in normal drafts, maybe something like eight of them, nine of them, in my opinion. So yeah, yeah. The 2023 NBA draft is pretty awesome people. And uh, I've had a lot of fun studying it so far, but I also think it would, it's fun to go back and do a little redux um, of my evaluations on these guys, seeing what ways I was right and what ways I was wrong. For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100. Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. Next up, I'm going to go with... I guess I, I'll go in chronological order. So let me go with Obi Toppin next up, if that's fair. Obi Toppin, consensus lottery guy, I think is fair to say for him. Um, a lot of people had him top five. A lot of draft analysts over at the Strickland, uh, over at Knicks Fan TV. Um, some of the great draft analysts out there in the Knicks space had him in the late lottery um, that I really trust. So I'll say lottery for him. Personally, I had Toppin at 13 in his draft with James Wiseman at 14. Um, So that was interesting. (laughs) I don't know if any of either of those have aged good or bad so far. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Right. But I I do think that Obi, he showed some great run and jump athleticism as a college athlete, especially in straight lines. Oh, man. You got it. You had to let him loose. And you see OB in the NBA now, especially with the spacing uh, barreling down the, or rather barreling up the gut and, and getting to the pain or, or barreling down the lane and, and being found on a cut. Um, I, I wish the Knicks utilized him like that a bit more. I think that would be more optimistic. Uh, that would be more optimal. Yeah. That would make me more optimistic about Toppin's future with the Knicks if they used him like that. But don't think they will. So that's a, a lost cause. Listen, though, really good run and jump athlete and a good athlete in general. OB seen as a big dunker, had a lot of dunks in college in his one season where he really showed his star level stuff uh, as a college basketball player. And part of that was his size. Good size. Six, six, eight, six, nine for a power forward. And um Again, that athleticism makes him 
look really good, right? Like just that athleticism allows him to have highlight plays, allows him to pop. Um, if he doesn't make a shot anytime in a game in, in a quarter, he can still be found on transition, leak out for points, um, and, and get a, and you know have six eight points in a quarter where he didn't even create his own shot once. So I, I do think Toppin was really impressive in college, especially as a fast break player, a transition player. Um, but then in the half court, you saw some issues, right? His center of gravity, his high hips. I know a lot of Nick fans have disdain for people who purported to be hip experts, but I got to say the so-called hip experts look pretty smart at this point in Obi's career because Obi still can't post up the likes of a Dean Wade shout out to Fred Katz. Obi still can't post up the likes of a Omer Yurt seven or someone like that. Right. I'm not even talking about a, a Jaden McDaniels type of clamps defender. I'm talking about a non-existent defender. So uh, for me, I, I think that Toppin has shown those struggles. Now, Johnny Bryant taking him to high yoga, things of the sort. Um, but where are we at in regards to Toppin's ability in the half court? I, I don't think that necessarily he has impressed in that regard. So, you know, wh- whenever it comes down to a conversation about, hey, is this guy going to be a guy who creates his own shot? Like, I don't think so. Maybe never. Um, you've seen the flashes, get the ball, dribble in, pull up mid range. I think Obi has that stuff in him. Will the Knicks ever use him like that? No, I think that's a disservice to him. So especially if he's not going to do damage inside, you want to see him do damage on the perimeter. The Knicks have tried to make him more of a perimeter player, but he's only shooting threes. It has to be part of his game, not his game. from three in college for Obi Toppin. You would think that that would translate nicely to having a catch and shoot option uh, out there if he's outside of the three point line. But when he's not moving in New York, he's not in motion. It's hard for him to get in a rhythm or it seems to be hard for him to get in a rhythm when he's not in motion. And so all those shots with his feet set, I think are uncomfortable for him at best. Um, He's not been excelling in the more perimeter oriented role that he's had in New York. And I think a big reason that that's frustrating is because part of my evaluation of Toppin was how smart of a passer he was. You can go back and search my tweets from when the Knicks drafted him. You should expect to see Obi Toppin's passing out of the high post. You should expect to see Obi Toppin's passing out of the post. Obi's a great passer. Obi's super smart with the ball. Obi's super smart without the ball. Obi can cut like a genius. Obi can move off the ball like a genius. And the Knicks don't utilize him in those ways. So I don't want to say that that has aged poorly in regards to my evaluation. Cause I do think a team like Indiana or a team like Sacramento, maybe even a team like Utah would have Obi running up and down the court, using him freely um, and letting him do what he's best at. I think the Knicks, he, he is a very uniquely shaped peg that they're trying to fit into a very regular round hole. And it's not working. I, I think that, this conversation would be different if he had been developed on another team. I also think you can make statements about how he's played so far. Um, He's not great at attacking the basket, but once he is there, he has fantastic body control around the rim, like fantastic body control around the rim. So I I think there's potential there for Obi. If he were a prospect and and I got to say, I'm probably higher on him as a player now that I've seen him in the league than I was on him as a prospect. If I were ranking prospect Obi, 
in the 2023 NBA draft, I would probably not be taking him until the 18, 19, 20 range. That's probably where I would have had Obi in this draft class due to the fact that I had him at 13 in, in that draft, which was considered a weak one. Um, yeah, I could definitely see that level of draft stock being where I have him. But knowing what we know about Obi now and, and the hot yoga he's done with Brian, I mentioned it all the time, the little bit of flexibility he's gained from that. Knowing what we know about Obi Toppin now, I'd really be comfortable taking him I want to say in like the 14 area. So about where I had him in his draft, I think now in a deeper draft, he has caught up to that draft stock that I, that I had him at in his, in his own class. Um, I, I do think Obi is someone who has improved in certain ways since getting to the league. I think he's a better standstill catch and shooter now for what that's worth. But that's my concern is I don't know how much the things he's improved at are worth. Um, offensively. Now I didn't really touch on his defense and that's because I do think that that conversation got run into the ground a little bit has been running into the ground a little bit over the past several years, but I'll do a quick note on it. Now I think Toppin has been a better defender for these New York Knicks than a lot of the, the Nick draft analysts, including myself, were ever expecting him to be um, this early in his career. I personally saw Toppin getting to where he is now defensively at his like age 26, age 27 season. So in a couple years, once he had uh, several, several years of experience in the NBA, I wasn't expecting it this early. He's not great. I don't think he's a good defender either. I don't think about Obi Toppin when I think of good defenders. I do think in his role, he's fine. He's all right. He's okay. He'll cost you some, some corner threes because he helps a pass away. He'll cost you some perimeter threes because he helps a pass away. He will get bodied to the paint in the paint at the rim. Um, but he's fine. And I think that's really, you know, important to note. Now I will say going forward, the way the NBA is projecting the bowl, when Banyama Holmgren archetype of, of big becoming ever more uh, popular and prevalent. I do think that that's really bad for Obi Toppin. I do think the direction the league is heading in does not look great for him. Um, and with that in mind, I, I might even consider not taking him until like the 20, 21, 22 spot in this draft. Um, but I just think he's too smart with the ball in his hands and without the ball in his hands. He's just such a smart player about knowing how offensive sets work, knowing where he needs to be, knowing where his teammates are. I really just would bet on him to make it work. Um, because Obi, someone I think won't ever be an all-star in the NBA, but that's so okay. Like he can be one of those Sean Marion type of players that just has a big impact on their teams. Um, so yeah, you know, Toppin just needs to play natural. Uh, and, and part of that onus falls directly on his coach and his organization to put him in a role that's conducive to him playing his best basketball. So for Obi Toppin and RJ Barrett, I would say um, both of them would go lower than where they were drafted uh, in redrafts today. I think consensus would probably go RJ at four after Garland at three, if not RJ after hero and others. Um, 
But man, Obi, definitely many spots later. Number eight in the eyes of some Nick analysts was always a little high. Not too far off from my number 13 ranking. Um, but I got to say number 18, 20 in this draft is where I'd be at. So the two lottery picks aside, uh, the New York Knicks have had some steals in recent drafts, some steals, steals, steals. So let's, let's talk about quickly. Let's talk about Grimes. Let's talk about McBride, the three prospects that I wanted to cover in this episode that are left. Um, I know some of you may be thinking, what about Jericho Sims? Our Dominican friend. I got to say, I don't think there's much to talk about there. Um, he's a promising young big. He is probably about where you want him to be at this point, given where he was at the end of the season last year. Um, okay. He's still not in the rotation, still not going to be in the rotation. Um, I, I just, man, do I not see a need to deep dive him. Uh, I think he can be good. It's nothing about that. I'm not saying, Oh, he should have played better. If he, uh, he should have played better. If he wanted to be featured in my podcast that I do for my couch at home. No, no. A lot of respect for Jericho Sims and what he does and what he brings to the New York Knicks organization. Um, but I just think for the purpose of this episode, I wanted to pick five prospects. So, uh, just letting you guys in on my decision-making process there. Um, so you feel like you're, the assistant producers of the show, because you guys really are. This content is for you guys. So, you know, don't be afraid to let me know in the comments, anyone you'd like to hear about, um, anyone you'd like to have me do a spiel on in a future episode. But yeah, let's get to these next draft classes. So later on in Obi Toppin's draft class, the New York Knicks selected Emmanuel quickly, number 25 overall. Now, the majority of the media, by that I mean ESPN, Draft Express, The Athletic, um, they had him in the 40 to 50, for, I'll say the 40 to 55 range. Some people that I really trusted had quickly supposed like he should have gone undrafted to them. Um, some people should thought he should have gone top 20, right? So uh, it was all over, but the consensus was the 40 to 50 range, I think. So for me, I had him at number 29 on my big board. I considered that being high on him, having him as a first round prospect. And wow, was I wrong about Emmanuel quickly. I, I completely doubted him as a prospect. And I thought his long wingspan would prove useful for making him a, not a one trick pony of a specialist. I thought he could be a one trick pony offensive specialist who could hold his own and be a productive presence on the defensive end, which overall would make him a good player, a decent player, a playable player, someone who maybe one day when the Knicks are good, uh, could be coming off the bench, had a shot to, um, and that's where I was at with Emmanuel quickly. A lot of people said, in college that he needed to improve his awareness defensively that on Kentucky, uh, especially in his first year, the defensive awareness just wasn't there. Um, other things from the film, the handle clean, but still pretty raw on the raw side of things. A lot to clean up there. Um, he was a shooter shooters shooter, man. So 
and, and the work ethic was something else that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. But uh, in regards to the stat sheet, free throw rate, good. Free throw percentage, really good. His second year went up to 92, I believe. Three point percentage, really good in his second year. More attempts, more makes out of those attempts, higher proportion, higher percentage, everything, all of the above. Um, but he never really showed game as a passer, as a multi-dimensional offensive player, as a playmaker for others, as a defensive playmaker, not just a defender, a defensive playmaker. I'm not talking about uh, just a free safety. I mean, a lockdown corner. Right. And, and and those were the things that for me, I, I said, hey, this guy could play. Um, <laughs> frankly, I, I thought he'd just be like a really good bench player. Um, and then the second I saw him get to the NBA, I was like. If you think this kid can just be a really good bench player, man, you're putting a ceiling on him for no reason at all. No reason at all, because he can be so much more than that. And the reason I really believed that was because of the other dimension of his game that he began to show while donning the orange and blue. And that was his passing. Um, you talk about that lack of playmaking in college. Now, it, it wasn't a total lack. He could do it. He played point guard in high school. But Calipari played him with two other guards. Not conducive to quickly getting a lot of on-ball reps as a playmaker. He did just what he was best at, putting the ball in the basket. And so uh, when he got to the NBA, he was still very raw as a playmaker. He needed the reps. And uh, many, including myself, argued for him to start over Alfred Payton at the end of that season, over Alec Burks and Kemba Walker the entirety of that season, except for like the first 10 games, because I decided to see how things played out. Um and quickly has shown this season now that he really can have the level of impact that a starting point guard can have on a game. So for the Knicks who are a team built and predicated on their depth, um, I think he's really important, a really important piece. And, and I also think that he's grown as a playmaker so much since college. Now the defensive instincts on the other side of the ball, I, I wanted to note as well, quickly showing much better defensive instincts than he did at Kentucky um, really getting ahead of plays in the NBA, jumping passing lanes, using his length, sticking out his arms, uh, reaching, but not being taught too often. At least I, I just think that he really cleaned up his game in a lot of ways. The handle looks a little better. could still get even better. His shots pretty good. Could still get even better. Um, uh, and and I think just he said it himself. He said after his triple double against the Orlando Magic, I've never been a good enough passer to have a triple double before in my career. So it didn't surprise him when he was told that was the first triple double of his career and it came at the the highest level you can play at. Well, it was because he was never good enough at passing and he knew it. Um, now, good enough, earning those reps, making use of those reps for himself. And I got to say that he is just someone who has really impressed me a lot in his time in the NBA. So now it's time for our little look-see. Uh, I had quickly 29. Where would I have him in this NBA draft, given where I had him as a prospect? Well, I got to be honest. I can tell you right now, he would not have been in the top 25, and he probably still would have found himself in that 32 to 33 to 31. I'll say the 31 to 33 range based on the way my board out to 40 looks right now. Um, again, this class really deep at the top. I think this is also a class where I'm finding myself 
valuing the scarcity of bites at the apple and saying you really should just take an upside shot. Um, I probably knowing my thoughts on quickly as a prospect would have had no hesitation going with someone like Derek Whitehead from Duke out of this year's draft over the Kentucky version of quickly, just because if Whitehead hits, you've got a wing right quickly, six, two, six, three, six, nine wingspan, a lengthy guard, but still a guard nonetheless. And a small guard at that. I think that a lot of the upside shots, Jet Howard, um, Derek Whitehead, Kobe Bufkin, might have just impressed me more than quickly did. And and that probably would have aged to be a mistake too. So yeah. Um, knowing what we know about quickly now, still on a rookie deal, man. Oh man. I would take him at worst eighth in this draft. And I would probably go with him. That's a really tough one. Um, between Kaysen and Quickly, oh, we knowing what we know about Quickly, I am inclined to say I would go with Quickly, still only 23 years old. So maybe top seven for Quickly, knowing what we know now. But I never would have taken him that high as a prospect. I was not high on him. I am not rewriting history. I, I was relatively high on him. I wasn't close to high enough on him. And that's what matters to me. So Emmanuel quickly is a prospect that I've learned from my evaluation of um, in, in regards to projecting players going forward, uh, especially and analyzing what opportunities they had to showcase the things that I fault them for missing. Uh, if you watch just highlights, it's really easy to say, oh, you don't see a lot of these shots. You don't see a lot of these shots. If you're watching full games, you can really figure out what's part of a team's uh, shot arsenal and and what's allowed and what's not. And I, and I think it's a much different experience. So um, very grateful for my new perspective on on college basketball players and always hoping to bring you guys the best board possible. Uh, I, that's where I'd have quickly at would be that like seven, eight range given what we know now. Um, so yeah, those are three of the New York Knicks most important prospects. I would argue Quentin Grimes is more important to the team than Toppin. So I didn't say the three most important prospects, but those are the, the, the three guys that Nick fans had to rest their laurels on for a good amount of time. It was a fair amount of time that Nick fans had to say, Hey, uh, these are our guys. This is the future. Um, so I figured I'd start out with them. Not every billionaire has the stamina, the dedication, or the fire to become the most unpopular owner in sports. But not everyone is James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks. This is Reign of Error, a new podcast series that gives you a courtside seat for the controversies, scandals, and drama that seems to follow the infamous billionaire. Track Dolan's rise from aspiring musician to the throne of one of the most beloved franchises in sports. Along the way, he'll battle his own players, fans, celebrities, the New York media, politicians, even the Girl Scouts. Reign of Error unpacks the outlandish story over five riveting episodes, detailing how Dolan became a lightning rod of criticism in his quest to outdo his billionaire father, while also asking the $6 billion question, why doesn't he just sell the team? Check out Reign of Error wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, 
Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakley's today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Nick's Film School, our motto is look good, play good. And that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. Not one of us leaves the house in the morning without our Oakleys. And listen up, because it's officially almost summer, which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now. Check out Oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. Also, did you know that Oakley even offers prism lens technology? Now, I know what you're thinking. GMAC, what the hell is that? Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Now, next up in this listing, chronological listing would have to come Quentin Grimes, number six uh, for the New York Knicks. And personally, don't laugh. I had him at number 36 on my big board that year. I was wrong about Quentin Grimes. Um, And I'm open about saying that I saw him as a shooter. I also saw him as inefficient inside the arc. I didn't see him as someone who created rim pressure, who relied a lot on his jump shot, a higher volatility shot profile. Um, someone who might have shaky percentages in the league, despite providing spacing for a team. Someone who wouldn't be able to be an isolation creator really at all in the NBA. Really at all. Um, limited upside on that end. Five-star at Kansas as a primary, couldn't get separation against defenders, went home to Houston, reshaped his game under Samson, um, and that's where we're at. So for me, Quentin Grimes as a prospect was not all that. Um, I kept trying to think of why it was bad that he couldn't add certain things to his game. And I let that thinking dominate my perspective. I would say today that my error was in not seeing how beautiful Grimes's game was when you trimmed away the fat. And I think that's exactly what the New York Knicks have done with him on their team, putting him around other talent when they do hopefully continue to start him. Um, and, and they have talent. Jalen Brunson. Um, Julius Randle, right? When Grimes is playing between these guys and not playmaking for other players, he can thrive like he did at Houston. He can thrive like he did against Miami once he got more minutes and got the starting job. He can he can thrive like he did all regular season long, especially against Miami in the regular season. Um, he's someone who, to me, is a a glove-like fit for any contending team. Um, If not in their starting lineup, then off the bench. And and I just think that it's at a point where 
he has shown so much of why he's worth it despite his shortcomings that it's also kind of changed my perspective on prospects. I'm always trying to learn from my evaluations. Grimes, they took away the dribble pull-ups from outside the three-point arc and dribbling inside and and pulling up. They took away a lot of self-created rim attempts. They told Grimes, they said, get open for three. If you get closed out on pump fake, go inside. If you don't want to finish over or around anyone, dump it to Mitch Robinson. He's got your back. I, I love this plan for Quentin Grimes. I think it's allowed him to shine as a New York Nick. And, and I, I understand frustration about wanting him to have the ball more early, but the Knicks are also a good team and good teams have to be really judicious about where they give their reps out to. I do ultimately think the best choice is Quentin Grimes. I understood the Josh Hart thing. I didn't like it at all. I said it was a problem from the start. It's neither here nor there because Grimes is someone who you can keep around and and just not have that problem with. You can just play him. You can insert him into any lineup. He'll provide spacing for it. He'll close out attacks on it. He'll play great defense. And that's something else about him. I think I underrated coming into the NBA was his defense. So for me on Quentin Grimes, I I know I would not have had him in my top 30 in this class, but I want to say guys like Bilal Koulibaly, guys like Jordan Walsh, athletic projects, uh, a center like a Dem Bona, someone like Chris Murray, someone like Rayon Rupert. I, I want to say I would have bet on all of these guys over someone like Quentin Grimes. I may not have had Grimes uh, uh, until the 40s on my board, maybe the late 30s, because there is a talent fall off in this draft. Podzemski before Grimes, you know, I, I, I want to say Grimes would have been in the late 30s. Um, and, and just for me personally, that's bad. That was that was a miss for me, people. So, uh, reminder: I'm not perfect. <laughs> um, it's always fun to do your own research and uh, check things out for yourself too. Maybe there's there could always be something I'm missing. Um, but knowing what we know about Quentin Grimes now, you've got to take him in the top fourteen. He's got to go in the lottery of this 2023 NBA draft. Personally, I'd probably have him. 10 or 11, probably the 11 spot. Um, And I just think that that's fair because of the athletic potential of the guys above him. To me, the NBA draft lottery is about those swings. Um, And I just think that taking the swing at the home run is sometimes better than the guaranteed walk to first. Uh, Grimes is the equivalent of a walk to second in this draft, you know, you're getting a stud of a starter or bench player, but I think there are so many high upside players in the top 10 of this draft, even out to Anthony black, who I currently have ranked at number 10, he could be a multi-time all-star caliber player. And so Grimes doesn't have that potential. In my opinion, he can be on the, the cream of the crop, but blacks athletic potential, his length, his ability to move in space, especially on defense um, would have me leaning with someone like him. If I were building a team up, Uh, For the Knicks, I think you take Grimes without a problem. Rookie scale deal does what you need without a problem. Uh, So, yeah, Quentin Grimes, everybody. Nice, great NBA prospect. We love Quentin Grimes here on draft class. Nowadays, we did. We used to not. Um, But that was also before I started draft class. I feel like if I had talked out that narrative on him more, my evaluation on him more with you guys rather with my microphone to you guys. Um, I might've changed my mind. So yeah, 
I do appreciate having you guys around to talk to. It's nice. Get to bounce some thoughts off you guys uh, as always and hope you enjoy listening. Now, we've got one more to go. One more guy to go. He's just a little guy. Just Deuce McBride. He was what I told Zach Blatter of the Strickland before the 2021 NBA draft, the pre-draft steal of the draft, whichever team drafted Deuce McBride was likely going to get a guy who would outperform his draft slot uh, or at least be a good addition to the team. I was very high on McBride and his potential impact on an NBA franchise Um, as someone who understands jumbo initiators and the trend of jumbo initiators. I, I really liked McBride's potential to star as a starting one guard next to a jumbo initiator. That's not to mean that I see him as a starter on every team in the league. But if you did have Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday uh, was your starting point guard and Deuce McBride was your backup and Drew got injured for two weeks, I'd be really happy to start Deuce McBride, you know? And so um, I, I think that I saw Deuce as fitting into that kind of like Tyus Jones mold of player, uh, but a little riskier on the offensive side. We know Jones has a great assist to turnover ratio. I don't think Deuce will ever have one that good. And I'm not saying that it's an indictment on him. I think he's a little bit riskier of a player Uh, for the Knicks. He does just like to make his reads and get out. So understand that, you know, he understands his role and and when he does play, why he's playing. Um, He's not part of the regular rotation anymore. So he just wants to make his reads and set up his teammates, which the coach deems is literally all better than him. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I I think that he does a good job of that. But as a prospect, I, I just thought he was an absolute bulldog. Uh, I, I mean, I saw him as a shooter, as a bulldog, someone who could hit pull-ups, someone who played tenacious defense, someone who was tenacious on the offensive end as well for a guard, someone who wanted to out-rebound you. Um, and I just really saw him as being perfect next to a big wing or a big initiator uh, at the one for a guy like Jokic or Sabonis. If there was star talent at like the two and the three or the two and the four loved deuce as a complimentary piece. Um, I think consensus, he was in that 30 to 40 range for draft analysts. I remember a lot of like 38 um, stuff. I remember for Grimes, I forgot to say it for him. I had him at 36 ESPN had Grimes at 29, the athletic San Vicini. He had Grimes at 49. Um, so ESPN, the highest out of the three on Quentin Grimes, the rightest, I guess, suppose out of the three, but Deuce McBride, I had number 21 overall in his draft. I was really high on his impact. I did not foresee him serving time in the G league. I actually like that better for him than being camped on the Knicks bench. So uh, as we saw in the G league, nine plus three point attempts per game. And above 45%, I believe it was 48% shooting on that ludicrous amount of three-point attempts. So uh, uh, shot the lights out for Westchester. Has yet to do so in the NBA, but showed at the end of the season and in in his little playoff run, I think, that he can make the shots when called on. So, um, yeah, you know, for McBride, it's a matter of remaining confident. Um, We're getting better as a shooter, a catch-and-shooter, out of rhythm. getting comfortable setting guys up in their spots, playing the point guard position um, and learning how to be a little maestro out there because I I think it's that simple for him. I think he's really good. Um, And I just think it comes down to how bad does he want this? Because when you're his size, like we've seen with Jalen Brunson, um, you have to put tens of thousands of hours of work in 
to be as good as some of these other guys that just walk on the court six, eight, ten inches taller than you and play your position. Amen Thompson, six foot seven. <laughs> that kid's a monster. He's a point guard. I gotta say, like for McBride, he's really gotta he's really gotta want it. I do trust his work ethic. I think from what you've seen with him with the Knicks so far, his willingness to go down to Westchester, no stink was made about it. Um you gotta be you gotta be optimistic, but maybe not confident that he reaches that number 21 pick ceiling. I think he will just because of the defensive end of the ball. Um, but if you're looking for offense, he may not be the right bet for you. Uh, you may prefer someone in this draft class. Now, personally, uh, I had him number 21 in his class. I would have him something like number 26, number 27 in this class. That's because I really, really, really liked Deuce McBride as a prospect. I tried learning from my mistakes with guys like Emmanuel Quigley and different players on Deuce McBride. So, yeah, I know the ranking may not be what you expect. That's probably where I'd have him in this class. Maybe that 28 range. That'd be fair. 28. I'll just say 28. Um, But yeah, I I think Deuce is going to be good. I think he'll be a fine player. Um, I just think especially, you know, a couple years into his deal now. Refresh that rookie cycle. May not be the worst idea. You may not get a better ball of clay. You might get a much larger and a much softer one that you can mold into something really great. Um, And so that is it for me on the five most important New York Knicks prospects, RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, and Deuce McBride. And that means that that is it for us here on episode one of season two of draft class. I want to really genuinely thank every single person that clicked play on this podcast and is hearing me say this. Now you are special to me and you mean something to me. And I really appreciate what you do to support me. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in here on Nick's film school. You can go follow me on Twitter at Chris Percy. I'm sure it'll be linked in the description because man, are you not going to know how to spell that on your own? Um, but stay tuned here on draft class. We're going to have some awesome guests with which I will have some awesome conversations that will center themselves on some awesome NBA draft prospects, their potential fits, landing spots, what the Knicks should do, who the Knicks should look to trade in for this, that the third it's all here on draft class. So thanks for tuning in everyone. Make sure to stay tuned. that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com podcast.